0: So we're going to continue our series called Next. It's a study of Joshua, as Corey has said. I hope you've been reading the book of Joshua. If you've been reading along, you shouldn't have fallen behind yet because we've been going pretty slow through the book. But we're going to accelerate as um, as we walk in through this uh, text. And this week, the actual title is Tried. It's an interesting thing to, to as a title, I think, um, I was telling somebody, Corey said I misspelled it. It should be T-I-R-E-D, uh, not tried, but um, tired. But... It's it's this little bitty word, and I think it has great significance for those of us who are on a faith journey, right? I, I think that many times, you know, when you come to know Christ, uh, maybe you were like me, and you didn't you know what you were getting into. I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I said yes to Jesus. I thought it was just this thing, I, you know, and I was wrong. And what you begin to realize as you follow Christ is that this little word, "tried" is huge. It has huge implications for our following after after Jesus, the, the reason that I titled it "Try" is because when you try something, there's a chance you're going to fail, right? Like, and if you haven't noticed, there's this whole—it's funny, but this—I love younger generation. I think we learn so much from the younger generations. I think we learn a lot of wisdom from the older generations. So don't get me wrong—I'm kind of right in the middle right now, where I'm at in my life. I'm creeping toward, you know, being old, and I'm hanging on to being young. You know how that is, right? Just stretched in the middle. Um, but I love. Uh, to, to see what youth are doing, the things that they're into. And I know some people can say, oh, it's just a mess. I, I do pray for the world that our kids are growing up in because it seems so unbelievably complex compared to when I was a kid. And I know I sound like an old man when I said that, but it's true. I just think it's so hard. But uh, it's funny because this word tried for the younger generation has taken on a new meaning. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever heard? Have you ever seen like the hashtag fail Right? Like you tweet something, you're like, you're like, I went to get, you know, corn pops and then spilled milk in my shoe. Fail. Right? Or I asked the girl out and then she said, no, fail. Right? I mean, it's this whole thing, right? Did you guys have a good Valentine's Day, by the way? You know, there was one dude that got flowers when they raised their hand and like two or three women. That was like not a flower holiday for us. What's up? I, I thought it was all about flowers and chocolate. But uh, anyway, did you have a good Valentine's Day? Yes. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear someone had an awesome one. Yes, that's awesome. Well, you know, the the young culture, my favorite things is that they've started to celebrate this thing called failure, right? It's really, really funny. And uh, there's this place called Fail Blog. I don't know if you've been to Fail Blog. It's okay, but there's a lot of funny stuff out there, you know? And uh, so I thought in honor of Valentine's Day, which was a couple of days ago, I wanted to start with this idea because, you know, the truth is that the only reason people fail is because they try right and so i wanted to share a few i thought were pretty funny with you that are uh, were fails okay so this first one is from facebook love i don't love facebook that's a lie um but i'm on there okay and it says uh someone says oh oh that's me someone says if i see one more car in the parking lot decorated with hearts and flowers i'm seriously going to vomit right like I'm so sick of this whole heart and flowers thing. And a friend, now the, see the colors, black, red. The red posts back and says, "I saw a girl eating chocolate alone in her car." That makes up for it a little bit. And then the girl who posted writes back and says, "That was me." <laughs> <laughs> that is not a good friend. <laughs> It's <laughs> not a good friend at all. Uh, and I think it's funny you get the comment. She's going to vomit. Okay, anyways, we'll move on. The, I don't know. We got this adorable little valentine. Actually, Chris got one. I didn't get one this year. It's so sad for my daughter. Do You guys ever get those valentines if you're a parent? It's like so sweet. And Chris got one. I was going to bring it, but I didn't want to, you know, you know, mourn too much by not getting one myself. But it's really adorable. Here's one I thought was really funny, though. And it says, uh, Mom and Dad you are lucky you are alive. <laughs> I thought, well, that's adorable. Hide the steak knives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's scary. It's a little... Maybe I don't want a Valentine's for my children. Um... There's so many ways I can be taken. So, but they are lucky to be alive. Okay. Um, and then here's, here's another one. I can't remember what's next here. Let's see what's. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is really funny. So this dude posts on Facebook and he says, uh, this is really small. I apologize. He says, I've made it 21 years without you. So why do you think I need you now? Right? Come on, people. And it says, because I'm your grandma, and I need you. I, I love that there's no picture on grandma's profile here. <laughs> She's got the silhouette, you know. And then he says, that wasn't directed to you. And she says, I know. I just wanted you to know that I love you, and I need you. And he goes, I love you too, grandma. <laughs> and she says, thanks. I needed that good night. And he's like, night, grandma. <laughs> Which is really funny. If you're in college, you remember when Facebook was college only, and then it was totally not cool anymore when everyone else got to get on your grandmas on Facebook now. So it's not cool. But I wanted to share this last story with you, too, because I think it's funny. We love to laugh at failure. But the truth is, it's not until you try that you fail. Like, that's how you fail. You try. And the people were laughing at it. I've tried things. And so I was reading this. I'm like, oh, this is going to be funny, right? It's printed. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, um, My sweet husband, John, and I were married for 46 years. Every Valentine's Day, he'd send me the most beautiful flowers containing a note with five simple words, my love for you grows. Four children, 46 bouquets, and a lifetime of love were his legacy to me when he passed away two years ago. On my first Valentine's Day alone, 10 months after I lost him, I was shocked to receive a gorgeous bouquet addressed to me from John. Angry and heartbroken, I called the florist to say there had been some kind of a mistake. The florist replied, no, ma'am, this is not a mistake. Before he passed away, your husband prepaid for years and asked to us to guarantee that you continue getting bouquets every Valentine's. And with my heart in my throat, I hung up and opened the card and it said, my love for you is eternal. That's a win, (laughs) Right? And as much as we kind of make cracks about failing, you got to try things. you got to take a chance. And here, this gentleman who loved his wife as best he could while he was here, gives her this gift that says, I'll love you forever. That's cool. That's cool. And so I was just thinking, man, I love to be inspired by people who take risks. And as much as we laugh, don't you want to be that way? Don't you want to be taking those chances in your own life? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about tried. We're going to jump into God's word because it's packed today and we have a lot to cover. We're going to ask God to teach us, not that he's not here, but we need his inspiration to understand his word. I do, you do. So let's pray together, Father. Today, if we come into Your house, celebrate what You're doing among us. I pray that You would be present with us, not that we don't recognize, not that You aren't here, but we don't recognize You in Your presence, Father. I pray that You would help us to understand Your Word. I pray, Father, that You would indwell me in a way that I could proclaim it rightly, because I am broken without You. I can't say any truth apart from Your Spirit in me. I pray, Father, that for the folks gathered here, who that they would be given eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the God of eternal love that you've given to us. May we never forget your promise to us. I thank you so much for Jesus on the cross. I thank you for Jesus in the grave. And I thank you for Jesus raised. It is a glorious story of resurrection and life. I thank you, Father, for his inspiration and for his presence with us this morning. I pray that we would be attentive as you lead and teach in his name, amen. So if you bought a Bible, go ahead and turn to um, Joshua 3, and we're going to cover, cover a couple chapters here. Joshua 3. For those of you who maybe haven't been with us for a few weeks, um, we've been studying the book of Joshua, and they've been getting ready to come in the promised land. There's been a lot of things that have been happening. But this week is the week where they start to go. Someone said this morning, they're going to get their feet wet. That's right. They're going to actually start doing it. They're going to start following God more profoundly. Not that he hasn't been with them the whole time, but they're going to begin to follow him more profoundly. We're going to start in Joshua 3, chapter 1. Hear the word with me. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, right? They went to the Jordan, and there they camped before they crossed over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, your God, and the priests who are the people, wait, wait, and the priests, I'm going to back up giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua has told the people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. It's this beginning of the story of taking the promised land. And Joshua ends by saying this. I love this. Consecrate yourselves means make yourself pure, make yourself ready, make yourself holy. You remember that Joshua is told to be strong and courageous to hold on. God's going to do something with his people. And here he says, prepare yourselves, be ready, because tomorrow Yahweh will do amazing things among you. This whole series is called Next, and it asks the question of what's next in your faith life. I'm not sure that any of us, or many of us, believe that God is about to do something amazing in our life. It would have been so easy for them to get to the edge of the Jordan and think, we're never going to get across. You're going to hear today how it could have been easy for them to believe that there's no way they would take Jericho, even in spite of the report from the spies. But today, he says, be ready because tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. Sometimes in the darkest hour, God is readying us for the greatest light. You know, we sang that song earlier right before darkness comes. I mean, after darkness comes, joy comes in the morning. There's this reality that that's the way God works throughout Scripture. I love these repeating themes. I want you to see three principles here when we follow God. And I want to say, first of all, that when, when we follow God, He'll lead us into new paths. And I use the word new paths here, but I mean He'll lead us in new ways. And He'll lead us... In, in new uh, areas that we would never think we would go. Like he would lead us in ways that we would never think we'd respond to him and we end up going places we would never go without him. I don't want you to miss that. He says, when you follow me. Well, check it out. Three principles here from this very first opening part that I want you to hear. When we follow God. And the first comes in verse three. It's this, that we move when God moves. He says to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Promise from God move, when you see the priest begin to carry the Ark, that's when you stand up and you go. Well, that's kind of a simple thing, isn't it? But I feel like sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, we're running around, we're all kind of, you know, panicky, we're nervous, we don't know what's going on next, and we're get, we go ahead of God. Here he says, you wait. And when you see God move, you move. I'll remind you that this Ark of the Covenant was the one they'd been walking around in the desert with. It's their treasure. It's their, it's what they really value the most and it goes ahead of them. God would be present to them day and night, leading them. He's never left them. And here Joshua says, wait, wait, wait until God moves. And then when God moves, you guys move. That should be the truth for your life too. In your life, you should be watching for signs that God is moving. And when you see God move, you should move. That's the indicator we still use as followers of Jesus. We believe he is Lord and King Jesus. He commands our life. We serve him. And so when he moves, we follow him. The second thing, and I already mentioned, it comes in 4a. Listen to what the word says. Then you will know. Interestingly, it says, wait till God moves. Because in 4, then you will know which way to go then you will know which way to go. Now these Israelites were on the side of the Jordan and they could see Jericho and they could say, we know where we're going, we're going right there. But you know, for God, a lot of times the, the straight line isn't the way he wants to go. I mean, it can be, but why should you assume that? Why should you and I assume in our lives that we see we're at point A, we're gonna get to point B, this is the obvious way to go there and we begin to, in, to say what in our prayers? Lord, my will be done, right? I see what needs to happen, Lord, my will be done. I'm gonna go from here to there. He says, no, no, no. Get ready to walk, but when you walk after God, be ready because he will take you a different way. That's what the word says. He will lead you into a different path. He will move new in his people. He will change your life. It's a story for God's people. Not for Joshua, but for his people. God will lead you in a new and unexpected way. It's such a beautiful thing for a then you will know which way to go. The truth is this, church. I want you to hear it. Until God moves, we don't know what we're supposed to do. And we aren't supposed to know what we're supposed to do until God moves. That's what the word says. There's no expectation that Israelites would know the right thing to do except to follow God, be a faithful follower, obedient. Jesus said to his disciples, what? Follow me. He didn't say, you know, pick a spot and go there, and then I'll you know, have a plan for you. And no, he says, just start walking after me. Just follow me. You remember the disciples, they followed Jesus around, they're like, where are we going? What's this about? We're just going through the same, hey, let's go back over here, let's go over there. And Jesus was always doing something different in new and unexpected ways. Read his healings. He never healed the same way twice. He's always doing stuff different. Why? The challenge today, church, is that you and I are following not a dead God, not a predisposed religion, but a living, active God who moves among his people. And he says, follow me because he is active in the world. We are following God. I hope that you believe that. I hope you're praying for that in your life. God will lead you in unexpected ways. And then the rest is in, and also in, in four. So check it out. I love this, by the way. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, right? But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, do not go near it. Now it's interesting, it says a thousand yards because in the original text, it says 2,000 cubits. Right, have you ever heard the word cubit? I, I've only heard it, I heard it the first time in my life. It was through Bill Cosby. I told you that before, right? And he's like, what's a cubit? You know what I mean? I learned the coolest thing this week and I didn't know this until now. Did you mind what a cubit is? Anybody? Yes? Uh, that's all, you guys all have cubits. Did you know you have cubits? Raise your hand if you know you have a cubit. You have two yeah, some of you got cubits. Hey, Dean's got two cubits. Raise your hand if you think you got a cubit. Just raise your hand. Are you serious? You guys are non-participatory. Raise your hands up. Come on, people. So, a- look at that. You're holding up your cubit. Woo! Check it. Yeah, Jim's in the back and celebrating with his cubits. Look at. The cubit was a form of measure from your elbow to your fingertips It's your forearm this is trippy, I'm telling you, because I thought, well, that's a random thing, right? Like, Micah's cubit's pretty small, you know what I mean? It's like, little cubit, you know, uh, 2,000 cubits, he's closer to God than I am, you know, and, but this is what's wild, the, the scholar said it's about 18 inches, and I'm like, huh, weird, I got a, I got a yardstick out, it's 18 inches, like, it's crazy, Okay, who cares, right? It's a cubit. You learn something today. Isn't that awesome? Check it out. So I, I want to tell you that because I want to tell you this. He said stay 2,000 cubits away from God. What's that about? Wow, what's the, I, I know we can do the whole like Indiana Jones, you know, like don't go near, you'll turn the stone or, you know. 2,000, can you imagine if you held your cubit next to your body like this and you multiplied it out 2,000 times? That's your following distance to the Lord. That's what he said. You know, I think that sometimes we have to leave room in our life for God to lead. I think sometimes that we're so unsatisfied with his leading that we want to rush up on him. You know what I mean? I think of the disciples in the boat when they're having the storm and the waves are blowing. They grab Jesus by his his shirt and they shake him and they say, wake up, we're going to die. They had no confidence in his ability to lead them. Often we want to run up and get right in God's face and be like, what are you doing? The truth is what the word says here is they begin to follow God into the promised land, the holy land where he is leading them. You got to leave some room for God to lead. You ever follow somebody really closely behind them? Have you ever like caravan somewhere in a car and you're driving with a group of people, like young people, have you ever done this? And you don't want to get lost in traffic and you almost end up crashing into each other like repeatedly, like you cause this like moving hazard when you drive around, you know? you got the kids in the mall, and you're like going, stay with mom and dad, stay with mom and dad. And they're like, burk, burk, burk. you know what I mean? It's just a miserable experience to them. They can't see anything. Uh, you know, they're lost in the crowd. Sometimes you've got to get some distance to see perspective. Oh, I know where God's going. I, I see. Oh, oh, no, wait, he's going. Oh, wait, wait, no, he's going over here. I didn't see that coming. Sometimes we allow no space. I'll tell you something else I think that's interesting about it. If the Israelites were so close to the ark, I mean, beyond his holiness, if they were so close to the ark that they were following God, that the, the, the people the um, people in Jericho wouldn't be able to tell if it was God leading or his people, right? I mean, if you're like a backseat driver with God in your life, you're right on his, you know, you're like on the horn, you're going, come on God, get a move on, we got things to do here, you know, like as if we got a right to tell God that kind of stuff. It can be confusing for those who see our lives and they go, who's in charge of your life anyway? You see, we talk a lot about tarrying and waiting on the Lord, don't we? Leaving room for God to lead. Because you want to be clear that it's God leading and not you. God wants his holiness to be made known among the nations. You know, whenever the, the, those in Jericho saw the Israelites coming, they weren't impressed with the Israelites, they were impressed with Yahweh. They weren't impressed with the people of God. They were impressed with God. If you're not allowing any room in your life for God to lead, how can anyone be impressed with what God is doing? Uh, This applies to all areas of our life. We have to allow room for God to lead. My question for you is, are you allowing that kind of room in your life? Is there any room in your life that you're standing back and you're saying with confidence, You know what, God, I'm nervous about this. I don't know where this is going, but I trust you. And I'm going to follow you. I thought this morning about this as I was getting ready to speak to you. And, you know, things like prayer and fasting, do we do that anymore? Do we desire to know God's plans enough that we would stop our crazy lives to listen, to pray, to fast? Do we even desire to know? Are we so busy running in circles That we have no room for god and then we say god where are you why aren't you leading us when we follow god he leads us in new ways unexpected ways and we have to allow him room in our lives to lead i pray that 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 would be happening by the grace of god i I know i need that in my life i know i need it in my life moving on in joshua 6 so he says get ready Get ready, Israelites, because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Then Joshua said to the priests in verse six, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of the people. So here they go. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Go and stand in the river, I think this is, I'm going to push this next one here because I think this is interesting. If you want to see God's miracles in your life, you have to start by obeying God's commands, right? We know that whenever the spies went and saw um, uh, Rahab, she had heard about the God who would stop water flow in rivers. But I want you to see what I just saw, what I just read with you in verse seven. He says, or in verse eight, he says, when you reach the edge, tell the priest to go and stand in the river, right? He didn't make any other promises to them except stand in the river. Stand in the river. We're going to learn later today in this text that the river is at flood stages. It's not just a normal Jordan River that they have to deal with. They could maybe forge it, you know, and get their stuff across. This thing is ripping. It's going. It's scary. It's wide. And it's insurpassable. And the priests carrying the most treasured possession, that the Israelites had were supposed to walk out and stand in the river. You notice, he doesn't say, go stand on the dry ground. He doesn't say any, he says, go and stand in the river. I tell you, when I read that, I thought, these priests are going to look like fools. You ever felt that way in your life? God's saying, you need to do this. You go, but Lord, I look like a fool. I'm trying to make sure that you look good here, God, and I know you think this is going to work, but I look like a fool. He tells the priest, You go and you stand in the river. Why? For my glory. For God's glory. Will you stand in the river? Would you have that kind of audacious faith, that kind of ridiculous drive that you would say, God, I believe you're with me. I'm going to go stand in the river while at flood stage? That's crazy. And that's exactly what he asks his people to do. So Joshua said to the Israelites, come here in verse nine and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know, listen, that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. See the ark of the Lord, the covenant of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and pile up in a heap. Did you, did you catch what he said there? That was a lot. But he said, so that you might know that God is going with you, stand in the river. And when you stand in the river and God cuts off the flow, you will know not just that he is giving you this river today, but he's giving you all of your enemies. He's giving you all of the land. Go and stand in the river and you will know God is with you. I tell you, I think a lot of times in our lives, and I'm telling you this myself too, the reason we do not take risks is because we're not sure God is with us. We're afraid to fail. And he says, you go stand in the river and you will know If I am with you or not, I will do great things amongst my people whom I am leading. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, affirmation of his presence in their life. The ark going before them, and when their feet touch the water, the water will pile up in a heap. Isn't that interesting? He never says, and I've heard this preacher before, and I love this, I'm not gonna preach it today, but he never says that you get there by the edge of the river, and then I'm gonna open it up for you, and then you can walk across on dry ground. He never says that to his people. If you think about the Jesus in the gospels, he never says, you know, I'll make it so clear that you'll have to take no risk. He says, ye of little faith, believe, trust me, follow me step out of the boat, step into the water, get your feet wet, see what happens. See if I'm not the God who rescues my people. That's risky business. That's what God asks from his people. It says, when the priests put their foot in the water, God will pile it up. Do you know if they had not had the courage, the audacious faith to do that, they would never have seen the miracle. Do you see that? God's not like, I'm going to make it so easy. He's going to like, you're going to get your feet wet. But the minute your feet are wet, I'll change everything. Why? He loves his people to believe. He loves his people to believe. If you think about the very first recorded sin in the Bible, it comes in the book of Genesis. Fundamentally, the issue with Genesis is that Adam and Eve don't believe God. He says, this is good don't eat that, they do it anyway because they don't believe God. God loves for us to believe him. He celebrates us believing him. He honors himself when we believe him. And therefore, God asks us, put your feet in the water, you know? Maybe you're living your life on the side of the river like that. Maybe you're scared You go in. Maybe you're thinking, I know in my heart this ought to work, but in my head it ain't gonna work. This river is roaring. This is going to be, and we'll even spiritualize it. Lord, this is going to look bad for you. this is going to be bad for you, God. Don't, 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 don't do this. Then you will know that the living God is with you. What the word says in verse 10, you will know that the living God is among you when you put your feet in the river. Some of us today need to get our feet in the river, Right? Some of you are standing on the edge, and God's been telling you, go, do it, go, do it. And you're like, just can't do it? Today might be your day to put your feet in the river. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage. See, I told you that was coming all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, and as soon as their feet touched the edge of the water, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. It piled up in a town called Adam in this, in the vicinity of Zaraneth. Zaraneth. Something like that, right? While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation completed the crossing on dry land. Right? What a beautiful story of God's deliverance so that you might know that God goes before you, so that you might know that he's handed you all of your enemies. Walk across this with me. Believe with me. Get your feet wet and trust me. And that's what happens. It says they stood there in the middle of the Jordan at flood stage. Not only did the water stop right next to them, it stopped way up there at this town called Adam. It stopped and the water just kind of trickled out and the Israelites walked across. That's a lot of people. A lot of people make their path across this, delivered by the Holy God of all creation, the living God. The truth is that God can do more, more, listen to me, than you and I can ever imagine. I want to confess something to you this morning. I have dreams. I have dreams of things that would happen. I have dreams of possibilities. I have dreams of great passion. But I have convicted as I read the word of God that he will do more than we can possibly dream. I'm not saying grandeur and status for us. I'm saying glory for his name. He will do things for his name's sake that will blow our minds and we'll just stand in awe of him. The Israelites hoped to be delivered. They hoped that somehow the priest going ahead would make a way. And yet God did more than they could imagine. He backed on all, all the way to there, the whole riverbed to dry, and they walk across the river, together. They're delivered into the promised land. The truth is that all of this came to pass because they believed God. <laughs> they believed God. They could have been stuck there by the river saying this ain't ever going to work. I think we heard wrong. but They didn't. They believed God. And, and as I thought about it, I, this is my question that I had is, are you embarrassed to believe that what God said is true. Embarrass is a weird, weird word, right, for that? Are you embarrassed to believe that what God is? said? But I'm asking the question because I have conversations with a lot of you and you say, you know, I just don't know if there's hope for this person. Or you say, I don't know if I can be forgiven for this sin. Or you say, you know, God's been calling me to do something, Bill, but I'm kind of freaking out about it and I don't know if I can take the kind of risk. You know, where the whole thing of the uh, undaunted study, that's what this story's about, is believing God. Truth is that it could have been quite a catastrophe for those priests. They had a lot to lose. They were the Levites, the people who were allowed to touch the ark, right? Carry the ark, and they had a lot of status. They had a lot of risk, but they bet it all on God. Could have been an embarrassing situation for them. Maybe um, you're with your friends. You know, I said to you earlier today, as a church. You know, it's so funny, the word Christian has become so watered down. I'm not even sure what Christian means anymore. It's supposed to be little Christs, little anointed ones, little people who are after Jesus, little people who look like Jesus, who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that always applies anymore. Maybe when you're around your friends, maybe you're embarrassed to say, Jesus is the only way. Maybe you get around and you get that voice in your head going, man, there's got to be some other way. There's got to be something else. I think you know better than God? The truth is that we hang our hat on Jesus Christ, he is the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega, everything, the promises fulfilled, all of our belief, all of our testimony clings, relies on the cross. And some of you, may that's embarrassing. I say that God has called us not to a life of embarrassment, but a life of bold faith. And I'm praying with you that we would live such a life while we're here. Would you have the courage to believe what God said? Or do you have the courage to believe what God says about you now? The last we're going to wrap up with is in chapter 4. We've heard this before, Family Bible Church, I love this, we've heard it before, we're gonna walk through it one more time real quick here. It says this, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the whole nation, by the way, all God's people were delivered, all the people that God wanted to deliver were delivered across the Jordan by his sovereignty. The Lord Yahweh said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among your people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, and, and from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you to put them down at the place where you'll stay tonight, right? He says, go out in that river and get some rocks and bring them back to the shore. Here's the truth. Remembering God's work is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. And and when we, when I asked that question a minute ago, are you ever embarrassed to confess about the gospel? Are you ever embarrassed to do what God has asked you to do? If you're embarrassed to do what God has asked you to do, you have forgotten what he has saved you from. You have so removed yourself from your sin, you have so forgotten the deliverance, the unwarranted deliverance of Christ on the cross, that you're worried about your status and your ego more than God's. Because when he saved us, we had nothing. We had no claim to righteousness. Those priests had nothing without God. All the robes, all the gold, all the stuff, all the religion, is worthless without the living God. And you and I are in that same boat, and if we begin to be embarrassed, we have forgotten that remembering God's promises are a gift to us. I told you already this morning that he said, you will know that I am with you and that I have delivered all of your enemies into your hands, not just the Jordan River, but everyone who lies ahead of you has been given over to you. That's what he says. Go out there and take some stones. I think it's an important thing, church, that we will remember what God has done in our life. I'm going to challenge you this morning that if you know Christ as your Savior, that you would work hard in your life to remember what God has brought you through. When the times of discouragement come, when you think, I don't know which way is up anymore, I don't know what's happening anymore, life's gotten really hard, it's really confusing, I want you to spend some time remembering the God who has brought you this far. He's delivered you safely to this place in your life. Don't, please, don't act like he will abandon you now. That is the opposite of faith. Believing that he will not save. Remembering God's promises are a gift. us so joshua in verse 4 gathered together all the 12 men who had appointed earlier from the israelites one from each tribe and said to them go before the ark of the lord your god in the middle of jordan each of you take up a stone on your shoulder according to the number of tribes of the israelites to serve as a sign among you check it out as a sign among you i want to say something else here real quick he says go out there and get a rock from the river right And you could think, how big of a deal do you think this is? He says, get a rock and put it on your shoulder. I remember one time Steve came in and preached about this, and we had some rocks. And I said, the problem was we couldn't get big enough rocks. If you've seen God deliver you through some massive thing, if you've seen him bring you through some ridiculous circumstance, I hope you're like those faithful people who come back and thank Jesus for it and remember it in your life. I can imagine the Israelites when they're out in that river, they're looking around those priests are standing, and there's probably some great big rocks and some little bitty rocks, and I can imagine some of those guys, I can tell you if God just delivered me through the Jordan River, I'd be trying to pick up a rock that's going to like blow out everything. You know what I mean? You're going to be like, I want a rock to remember this by. You're not going to carry some little pebble around and go, oh, look how cute that was from the Jordan. And you're going to show all your friends, look at my little rock. You're going to be like, I mean, this is man work, Right? He's like, men, get out there in the river and pick something up. And these guys are walking, you ever try to walk? I used to canoe and stuff. You ever try to walk on rocks and water that are wet? It's crazy. And they're carrying these boulders on their shoulders and they're slipping and they're walking across because they never want to forget what God did for them. And you and I, we like have a little cross on our neck. Our little diamond ring on our finger. It's all so light, so easy. He delivered us from all of our sin. Carry something with you. It's a gift to you to remember what God has done in your life so that when you face the next hardship, the next trial, you'll be like, he was with me then, he is with me now, and he's with me for whatever comes next. It's the gospel for you and for me. Bring something with you. He says, put it on your shoulder and bring it across to serve as a sign. Pick it up in verse six with me. To serve as a sign among you in the future. Here it is. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them how the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the Lord, your God, when he crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were stopped. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Not just for you, but for your kids. Like, there's a challenge for you. Have you ever told your children what God has brought you through? Have you ever told your children the ways that God has delivered you in your life? You know, a lot of times we mourn, we lament. The, the next generation, they're so lost, I don't know what they're going to do. Have you ever shared the truth of the God who saved you when you were a sinner? Like, who saves you in spite of your sin? Many of us look at our kids and go, just go to church because it's the right thing. Be nice. Be nice. Comb your hair down. Do we say, man, I was dirty. Do you have the audacity to say your teenagers when they say, like, you know, when you're, like, giving them the right act, you know, like, you you know, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. You know, you're talking to your kids. Do you ever remember, recognize yourself and go, oh, dude, I was just like you. And then Jesus showed up. I was just like you. And then this book began to reveal truth from my life. I remember what it was like to be there. Thank God I was delivered. You can be too. What do these stones mean, Dad? Son, these stones are from that river because God brought us through that. Not only that, but he gave us all of our enemies. Everyone who would stand against us was handed over to us in his name. Wow. I'm part of that story? Yeah, you're part of that story. The same God who delivered me will deliver you. You know, one of my frustrations in talking to some of you is, you don't believe that's true for you. you. go, that's nice for you, Bill, but it ain't true for me. That's a lie. God loves you. He made you. He died to save you. Truth is, the gift is for you. It's a gift to you. I'm going to skip down. So here, here's what happens. They kind of, they, they, they do it. They get the stones. They bring them up. And, and they, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read through here and start in verse 10. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua to do, right? The people hurried over and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord, the priests came to the other side, the people watched, and the men of Reuben, here it is, Gad, half tribe of Manasseh, Uh, crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites. Those are the guys who were on the other side. They they could settle there. They went ahead. As Moses had directed them to do, about 40,000 armed and ready for battle crossed over before the Lord in the plains of Jericho. That means they went across in his face. He saw his people go through that river. He knows what's happening in your life. The day of the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him as all the days of his life, just as they revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Testament to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan, and the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner, no sooner than had they set their feet on the dry ground of the shore, than the waters of the Jordan rushed back into their place, and they began to run at flood stages, just like they had done before. It was clearly God delivering his people. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up of the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask the fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you just as you had crossed over. The Lord your God did, the, uh, did to the Jordan just what he did to the Red Sea when he dried up before the Israelites until we had crossed over. He did this. Check it out. So that all people of all the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. Never forget. But there's one more piece here, and it's one. we We've been telling you, I've been telling you the whole time that the truth is that this was about God's glory. It's about seeing God move in His people. It's about seeing people following God. People were more amazed by God than people, right? And in one it says, Now when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings among the coast heard how Yahweh had dried up the river before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face Joshua and the Israelites. Remember what Rahab said? Our hearts melt with fear. Our following after God people are seeing god in our life and it says the enemy's hearts melted when they saw what god had done the truth is that not only is remembering god's work a gift for you but it stands as a warning for your enemies i hope you understand that that's true we've talked here before about how god has made a claim over your life things want to come against you they stand against god when god is with you does that make sense so when you are following God, these, these remembrances, you can say, I need encouragement. But in that moment, the enemies that would come against you, I don't know if they're enemies of like doubt or enemies of like you know conflict or enemies of like depression or enemies of you know strife or or you know spiritual enemies or emotional enemies or whatever they come against you and they see that you're remembering what God has done in your life, that is a threat to their power over you. says the enemy's heart's melted at the sight of God's work. I hope that we remember what God is doing. I hope that we never forget what God has done on our behalf. And so my last question this morning is, how can you intentionally remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life? And I hope you find ways to do it, and you can't run out of ways to do it. So if you've done, you're like, I got this little thing, do something else. Remember what God has done. In your life, The story of the Israelites is a story of deliverance. I hope that you see it's replete with the gospel. That God delivered his people through the cross of Christ. That those rivers that would just flood us out are stopped for this time so we can walk across. So that the enemies who are before us can be laid down before we ever show up for the fight. We're going to hear that story in Joshua coming. But it's the story of our life in Christ. It's not some old book. It's the living God. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. But if you don't know the work of Christ, you can know it today. And we're going to have a time. I'm going to tell you right now as we enter into the prayer. We're going to have a time of communion and reflection right after this. And communion is all about remembering. Please pray with me. Father, this morning, as we've come into your house to hear your word, I thank you so much for your witness to us. I thank you not just that we have the story of Joshua, but that your Holy Spirit had it recorded that we could learn from it, that we could remember the promises long before Christ of your deliverance, these foreshadowings of the cross. I pray, Father, that that our knowledge of you might become more each day. And I pray, Father God, that I just thank you that the truth is that you delivered your people in the same way you're delivering us. I pray, Father, today that there are those here today that don't believe the stories for them. I don't want to have to convince them, Father. I don't want to have to talk them into it because that, that's silliness. You convince them, Father, in their heart. You speak to them. Do it in ways that, they, that it's unmistakable you. The, the, the only way they could deny you is if they were choosing to not believe. Father, I I pray a prayer of your presence with us as we remember, Lord, and forgive us for those times that we've forgotten the great work you've done in our life. Forgive us, Father, when we think you're too small, or we're too big, or you can't lead, or we know better than you do where we're heading. Father, I pray that as men and women who are after your son, are following jesus that you would give us um, a recognition of your presence many of us are standing by the side waiting right now to see what's happening in that river i pray you would lead us across i pray you would give us the courage the boldness to get our feet wet do the work in your people father for your glory and we'll just celebrate you we'll just stand on the side and just have a party because of what you've done you are so good and we give you thanks and praise for this chance to Learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.